You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, we got it. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, excited to continue our series called Fear Less. If I haven't met you, I'm Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Banner Church, and uh, I'm excited you're here today. I feel like God is uh, continually speaking to us through the series and uh, really in this kind of unique time. And if this is your first week, we've been looking at uh, this verse out of Second Timothy. I want to say just thank you guys. I was thinking about it this week. My wife was talking about our small group, and it's been such a blessing. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are pastors, and they're wrestling with their congregation about, you know, the um, social distancing or wearing a mask, and they're so distracted trying to get their congregation to care for each other that they're not able to, like, go out and actually care for their community. So as your pastor, I want to say thank you for respecting, uh, you know, the, the things that we've asked and, you know, the lobby space. And when someone asks you, hey, would you move through? Or, hey, you know, if you're going to be in a group, please wear a mask to, to help protect others. I just want to say thank you for that. That has made my life uh, easier. And it's allowed us to really focus our vision and heart outward into our community, which is what we should be doing. We should be loving our community for Christ. Amen. Amen. So thank you for that. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, but I, man, I'm excited today to talk to you about failure. You're like, that doesn't sound exciting at all. Trust me, it will be. Uh, we're going to talk about failure today. But before we begin, I want us to read a scripture together. We read it together last week. We're going to read it together again today. So I'm going to come down here, whoever's uh, um, following me on camera, and we're going to read our scripture today. Uh, not this slide, but the one that has the scripture on it. There it is. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, cool. Well, let's read it together then. Um, everybody, good, strong voice. You ready? Okay, good. Okay. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Awesome. Give yourself a round of applause this morning. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but my wife and I, we have two kids. Uh, one of them is Lucy, age 5, going on 15. And one of them is Henry, age 2, going on small Abrams tank. Uh, and uh, awesome kids. Uh, <laughs> and Lucy, she loves order. Lucy, um, she thinks that everything you get as a toy is meant to be constantly assembled. I don't know if any of you were like this as a kid, but like every piece to every toy she's ever gotten, she still has unless her brother ate it. Right, every, every little thing she still has. She's got every shoe to every Barbie. She's got, we had this like plastic outdoor kitchen. She has every dish to the outdoor kitchen. This is how I know boys and girls are different because I would lose all of those like day one. Uh, Henry, on the other hand, believes that all of, you know, toys, like, was there for smashing. So my daughter, when she builds a Lego castle, it's this beautiful thing. It sh it, she would super glue it together if we let her. Uh, and she thinks it should all kind of be together. Henry, on the other hand, thinks that it is for smashing. You've created this thing for me to smash. I must smash it. I will smash it. Um, so obviously you can tell, you know, a lockdown's been great. <laughs> but... She's all about this, and, and I try to tell her, listen, I understand that it looks really pretty and it looks really nice, but you're supposed to play with it. Like, you're, you're, supposed, to, you're supposed to play with the toy. We, you know, you got the toy, you put the toy together. This is the point of toys. You're supposed to play with them. And she's like, no, you know, she puts it together, then she puts it up on the shelf, and then she'll occasionally take it down and play with it if she needs to, uh, but it's very, it's very carefully. 
I'm like, no, in order for it to, you know, to really like use it like it was created for, you're supposed to play with it. Things are going to break. Take it apart. Put it back together. You know, do your thing. And she's like, no, I just, I kind of want to leave it up there on the shelf because I don't want it to get broken. And it doesn't matter. It could be like the mega Elsa castle that like sings to itself and like spins and fires snow. It could be anything like that. Or it could be like the two-piece McDonald's Lego set that's like build your own Olaf. And it's like bottom part, top part. And that's like the whole toy. It's like now it stands kind of. Uh, I know Happy Meal toys have gone downhill. The other day we got like a book. It's like, come on, come on, McDonald's here. <laughs> come on. I know my kids aren't in school, but like, come on. Uh, anyways, so she, she leaves it up on the shelf. She leaves it up away so it doesn't break. And it's interesting. I think many of you in life live the same way with your life and your opportunity and your ability and your talents that my daughter does with Legos. How many of us, because of what we've assembled, you're like, man, you don't know how much work it's take, taken just to get my life together, let alone to actually, like, do something with it. What if it breaks? What if I, like, do something and I fail and it breaks? I put so much time to say, maybe you're like, I don't have, like, the full Elsa Castle version of life. I have, like, the two-piece McDonald's toy. It took a lot of work just to get that together. Well, I can't let it break. And so many of us, we live with the fear of failure because we're afraid. We're afraid that if we take it off the shelf and we use it to its fullest potential, we might fail. And so today I want to talk to you about the fear of failure because I believe that God has called us to great purpose. I believe that God has created everyone on purpose for a purpose. And so this morning I want to share with you a little bit about how we overcome the fear of failure. And I'm going to do that in Matthew 25. So if you write your Bible, go to Matthew 25. If you're online on our online campus, uh, we have a little tab. You can click. It says Bible. If you've been online, you, you might have seen it or not. Uh, you got to go out of full screen. Click it, Bible. You can go to Matthew 25. If you don't have your Bible, that's totally okay, too. Uh, we um, have some Bibles available for you. I, I believe in the back you can grab on your way out the next time you'll be set. Or just listen, and that's cool, too. Uh, but I'm going to read to you the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, verse 14. Before we do that, let me just clarify. What is a talent? Like, that's a skill. No, a talent that he's talking about here is actually 20 years' wages. He's leaving them a lot of money, basically, is what he's saying. Leaving some people a lot of money, some people a lot of money, and some people well, a lot of money. So here's what he's doing. Verse 14. You with me? Okay. Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey. This is Jesus teaching through parable. It'll be like a man going on a journey. Who, sorry, I'm dying over here. Who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. Each according to his ability. So the master gives to each person according to what the master believes their ability was. Five, two, one. Okay. We're all on the same page. It says, he who received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He made five talents more. Good investment. 17 said, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Look at verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Whose money did he hide? Was it his money? No. He probably used his money. Whose money did he hide? He hid his master's money. What the master had entrusted him says he hid. It's going to go super good for him. Trust me. 
19 says, Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, You should have brought me five like the other guy. No. His master says to him, Well done, good and faithful. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice that the master is not in the comparison game. He's in the stewardship game. He doesn't say, I gave you two. This guy brought me five. Why couldn't you have brought me five? Is it not good enough? He says, no, I give you two, you brought me two. Good job. You stewarded what you had. Okay, so here's the next guy. It says, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm following it here. My brain just died. Anyone have that moment where your brain is like, what is reading? <laughs> His master said to him, good, done, faithful servant. Verse 24, it says, he who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. That's a rough start, by the way. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. And of course, because you, know, you guys know the story, you know the master immediately goes, well, hey, great job playing it safe. Thank you for hiding my money in the dirt. Now get on up there, buddy. No, he doesn't say anything. Anything even remotely close to that. Here's what he says. Okay. But his master answered him. This is the Bible. Bible talking. Master answered him. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Notice the question mark there. He's not making a statement. He's saying, really, this is what you knew about me? Because the, the servant says, oh, I knew you were like this. And he's like, really? You knew? If you knew I was this hard of a person, you wouldn't have hid my money in the dirt. You would have put it in the bank. Like if, you really if you really thought this, if you weren't just lazy and making excuses, and if you weren't just fearful, you would have done something with it. If you really believed this, you would have done something. And he said, but that's not the case, so stop making excuses. <laughs> Here's what he says. He says, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. He says, I was afraid, so I hid your talent. Think about that. I was afraid, so I, I was afraid, so I hid your talent in the ground. I was afraid, so I hid your opportunity in the ground. I was afraid, so I hid what you entrusted me with in the ground. I couldn't earn that much money, but you entrusted me with it, and I hid it. I was afraid. Think about that. I was so afraid of failing with the one talent that I ended up failing because I hid it, and I hid it away. And I, you can see in his response, it's very much like, well, I didn't have five talents. If you had given me five talents, if you had given me that much, if I had that person's money, oh, man, then, oh, then, then I would have been generous with it. If I had that person's giftings, then, th oh, then, I would, then I could do something. But I got the one talent. I got the, I didn't get the, the Elsa castle that shoots snow and sings songs. I got the one Olaf click-on toy. That's my life. That's my bank account. That's what God's given me. It's just this nothing. So you know what I did? I hid it because I didn't want to fail. I was afraid. 
But what did our scripture say today? It said, but God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Reminds me of a, a story of a man who owned a bunch of monkeys. That's the whole story. <laughs> uh, I hope you guys have watched Tiger King, but uh, people who own lots of exotic animals are weird. You're like, I own eight iguanas, I'm not weird. Yes, you are. No one's just told you recently. <laughs> if you own more than one exotic animal, you're a little weird. If you own one exotic animal, you're a little weird. One time I was a real estate appraiser. I appraised the house. I said, hey, our cat's out back tied up. Just be careful. I said, okay. I think I'll be all right. I think I can take a cat. You know, like, I got it. They're this big, guys. You've seen cats, right? Go to the back. I, I kid you not. Kid you not. Like this mini-looking I think it was, I didn't look long enough because I was scared to death. Many looking jaguar sitting on top of a doghouse. You're like, you're lying. I'm not. You can ask my father. I'm not. I called him on the phone. I'm like, I don't think I can get pictures of the back of this house. The guy looks at me in the face. This isn't first service. You're getting this as a treat. Looks me in the face. I was 18, appraising house. He goes, yeah, but don't worry. The leash isn't long enough to reach the house. I'm like, I don't trust you at all, crazy person that owns a freaking jaguar. <laughs> Whatever this thing is. Leopard. I don't know. I can't, I don't know the difference in the spots. <laughs> Anyways, people who own wild animals are weird. So there's a story about a man for uh, owned monkeys. And so he decided to do an experiment. He took four monkeys and he put them in a cage. And in the cage, there was a pole. And at the top of the pole was a bunch of bananas. And so doing what monkeys do, when they were in the cage, they looked up the pole, they saw the bananas, and they thought, hey, let's go. So uh, one of the monkeys starts to climb up, and as he climbed up, he would get blasted in the face with a hose, and he would fall down. You're like, what? I don't know. He owns wild animals. You ask him. So then the next monkey would climb up, blast in the face, fall down. Eventually, all the monkeys had tried it enough. The monkey keeps going up, getting blasted. Eventually, he just gives up, right? He's like, this is impossible. I'm tired of getting shot down every time I reach for something. So what the guy with the monkeys does, because he's crazy, is he then takes one of the monkeys out of the cage, puts him back, I don't know, in the wild or, I don't know, the mall or whatever they do, and then he adds another monkey into the cage. And what do you think happens? The monkey goes, you guys not see the big thing of bananas up here? He says, all right, let's go. He come, begins to climb up to grab the bananas. And as he's going to climb the bananas, what happens? Take a guess. Not even that far. As he begins to climb up, he doesn't even get to getting shot in the face. All the other monkeys are like, no, 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 no. And they grab the monkey and pull that monkey down. Like, no, if you go up there, you're going to get blasted in the face. We know. Trust me. They pull him down. So eventually that monkey is just tired of, like, getting pulled down. He's like, all right, well, apparently I don't know why, but they won't let me go. So eventually... The, the monkey owner replaces all the monkeys one by one by one in the cage with monkeys that have never been shot in the face with the hose. None of the original monkeys. But every time they go to climb, the group of monkeys will pull that new monkey down. And eventually, none of the monkeys are original. None of them know why they're pulling the monkey down. They don't know why you can't do it, but you just can't. You just can't. You just can't do it. You just can't reach for it. You just can't do that. It's not possible. It can't happen. Why? I don't know, but you just can't. Why? Because someone told me you can't. But do you know? No, I just know that you can't. Can I say something? Don't let people make a monkey out of you based off their past hurt experiences or ideas. Have you ever stepped out 
in faith and have people try to pull you back down. You're like, I'm going to do this. People are like, no, you're going to fail. And you're like, how do you know? I don't know. But someone told me. Like, why? Because that's just how it is. Can I promise you something? When you take a leap of faith, someone's going to be like, you're going to fail. You can't do it. You can't climb up there. You can't go for it. I remember when we were moving down here to Arizona, and I was, like, so excited for Vision. And then I got down here, and I was, like, telling people, hey, here's what we're going to do. And it, it was really unique because our teams were coming together. There was a lot of trust involved because, you know, anytime there's people and money in transition, and, you know, we are going to send Pastor's Day and Bridget to Thailand. There was all these moving parts, and uh, my team had to trust me that it was going to work out and kind of all these things. Uh, it, it was a crazy time, and I sat down with people that I trusted. I'm like, hey, here's what we're going to do. Here's what's going to happen. And I literally had people, you know, you're sitting there at Red Robin, you're eating your burger, and you're telling them, and their face is down the whole time, just like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had people that I, like, deeply cared about go, like, that is a stupid idea, and that will never work. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Picked the wrong lunch appointment. And I was like, why won't it work? Because, well, that's a dumb idea. That's not what people do. I'm like, well, I know, but, like, this is, where the God, this is where the Lord's leading us. No, he isn't. That's dumb. I'm like, but why? It's like, because all of us monkeys have been in the cage, and we don't want you to climb up there. And I think it was well-intentioned. I honestly do. I think they didn't want me to get hurt. So I don't think it was, like, a mean intention in their mind. I just think they were wrong. Because so often... As we try to step out in faith, people who have been hurt in their past by steps of faith or reaching for something or failing, people who have tried something, whether it be in relationships or opportunity or business, they've had a business fail, and now you're coming to them with a dream of a business. They're like, it's never going to work. You're never going to fund that. Why? Because I've been hurt. Can I tell you, don't let other people's hurt rob you of your future potential. I'm not talking about, like, don't be wise. Get people in your life who will look at you when you do have a dumb idea and say, that's kind of a dumb idea. Not saying that. I'm talking about when you step out in faith with dream and vision and purpose and people like, it just, it won't work. The hard part is when you do step out like that and people are like, no. It can get into your mind and you can get in your own head. Anyone ever had a season where you're just, like, in your own head? You can start off really confident and all of a sudden you're like, is this going to fail? Like, Am I going to go broke? Like, am I going to have to, like, move back to the coldest, wettest, most miserable state I've ever been to? Like, am I going to have to do that? I don't know. Like, you know, like, I was in my head. I was thinking, like, man, what if, uh, what if I can't grow this church? I've grown campuses. I, I, I've grown churches larger than what we're launching now. But can I do it again? Can I, can I grow campuses? Can I do this? Like, will anyone show up? That was the realest moment for me as a pastor. Like, the day I started, everyone transitioned. There was no kids person. There was no other pastors. There was no worship person. It was, I showed up that day, and everybody had transitioned. It was just me. And I think Gianna was working six hours a week. So Gianna, too. And I think Nick. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, <laughs> I got to hire somebody like today. <laughs> and I was like, is this going to work? Then I was like, do we have money for this? Well, uh, kind of. <laughs> like, do we have a budget? Uh, kind of. Okay, we got to get money in the bank. Will we get money in the bank? Will I be able to pay people? Will I be able to take care of people? Will I be able to grow? Thankfully, all those things have happened. And we have money in the bank, and we've grown. And, you know, even with COVID, God is providing in amazing ways. But in those moments when you're standing up there like, I'm going to throw this event, and I hope people show up. Like, I don't know if you felt that pressure of like doing something publicly and then also being like, man, I hope people show up so I don't look like an idiot. 
Like that, any, any like event planners, organizers, leaders, you know what I'm talking about? Like, whew, I mean, I put some money into this. Like, whoo, please, Lord. Like, and you tell yourself, like, even if one person shows up, it's cool. It's not cool. It's not cool when one person shows up. It's not. <laughs> I mean, God bless that one person, but it's not cool. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And I was just in my head, like, just afraid of failing. Like, the first time I had people on my books whose families partially ate food this month because of money that we paid them for their services, I was like, okay, cool, yeah, oh my gosh, what if their families starve because I'm not good at this job? (laughs) That was a real fear of failure that I experienced, and I remember being in my head, being in that space. I don't know if you've been in that space, you know, but man, it can paralyze you. The fear of failure, it can paralyze you. It could just, like, lock you into your brain. And I think today you might have experienced that, but I think many of you are living in that space. Maybe you're online and you're joining us. You're in that space, that fear of failure, that fear that, that, that God has called you out, that God has given you something to do, that God has given you a mission and a purpose, but it's like, what if, what if I fail? What if it doesn't make it? What if I, like, didn't quite hear him right? What if I'm wrong? What if I got close but I didn't get all the way? Like, is there a plan B? What if I fail? What is it for you today? I'm curious. What is it for you? I think, I think some of you today, maybe uh, you've been given a vision on how to raise your family, but you feel unqualified. Maybe it's a, a schooling choice in this really unique time, but you're like, man, I, I can't do that. I'm not qualified for that. I can't lead my family that way. Maybe some of you, God has given a vision to start a business, and he's really put that upon your heart, but you're like, man, I, what, what, if, what if? What if financing doesn't come through? What if it doesn't work out? What if we start this business and it doesn't work and I lose all my, like, lose all my money? Right? What if it doesn't happen? Some of you, God is calling you um, into really true biblical relationships, but because you've been hurt in the past, you're like, man, I don't know if I can step into another relationship. What if it doesn't work out? What if I get hurt? What if it fails? Some of you, God is calling to biblical tithe. He's calling you to worship God with 10% in the biblical principle that he's called you to. Some of you, God is calling you to trust him with his finances, but you're like, I'm afraid. What if it doesn't work out? What if I can't do this? What if it's not enough? What if it doesn't happen? Some of you men, God is calling you to be spiritual leaders of your home, but you're terrified of that idea because what if your kid asks you a question you don't really know? Like, you're just, like, terrified. I I don't feel qualified to lead my my family spiritually. My wife, she's the one that goes to church. She's the one that leads our family. I'm just here. I'm kind of in the second seat. That's not what God has called you to do. God has called you to lead your family. Some of you, God is calling you to a moment of leading your family, and you're like, yeah, but, like, what if my kid asks me a really hard question? And I'm just going to tell you, that's all they do. If you don't have kids, let me tell you, someone needs to write a book called Crazy Garbage Your Child Will Ask You Right Before Bedtime. Like, my kid will ask me the most mundane questions, so right till they go to bed, and they're like, do you think God holds stars or something crazy? Like, I, I don't know, like things about where do babies come from, and why do some people have babies and other people don't? Why do some people look different? Why, do, why does this person here, why is this country this shape? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like just go to bed. Chapter one, deflection. Chapter two, just get them some ice water. <laughs> Some of you, God has put it on your heart to start a ministry. But you're like, man, I don't know. 
I, I follow people who lead ministries on Instagram, and they look pretty cool. They got those, like, those like boots that have the elastic on the side, and they're, like, pointy, and the jeans are really skinny. I can't, th these are normal jeans, and they look like skinny jeans on me. I can't even fit into those other ones. I'm like, how am, I supposed to, how am I supposed to lead a ministry? And so you just take your talent, and you bury it in the ground. I can't lead a small group. God's giving you a vision to lead a small group. I can't lead a small group because what if no one shows up? Well, they just might not. I know, but, but what if they don't? Uh, yeah, I know. What if they don't? If God's given you a vision, he has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So today I want to give you three principles to overcoming a fear of failure. You with me? Okay. If you're online, type amen. I'm with you, and uh, Becca's the best, because I think she's our online host today. And that's also true. Becca Keats is amazing. Is it Becca Keats? Becca Keats is amazing. She's a prayer warrior. She's like, pray. I can't wait till she comes back here when COVID's over. And uh, she's able to, to come with us because she's like, prays over our kids. We like found this notebook. She's like writing prayers and prophecy. It's amazing. I'm like, girl, what on earth? This is amazing. So anyways, I love you, Becca. All that to say, uh, three things. First thing. And this, I know this is going to sound really encouraging, but give me a second. Very first point, you will fail. Like, okay, cool. That was not encouraging at all. Okay, it's true. But it's true. Every single one of us, at some point in life, if we're doing anything with our life, we'll fail. If you're doing anything at all, unless you're like locked in a little bubble, like you will fail at something. Christ was perfect. And everything he did was perfect. Imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother. Like, man, he's just perfect. I think, I think Mary loves him more. <laughs> Christ was perfect. I am imperfect. And because I'm imperfect, it means I will not do everything perfectly, right? It doesn't mean that I won't do everything to the best of my abilities, worship unto the Lord. But some of you perfectionists, you need to hear me. Perfectionists, I don't know. I'll close my eyes so I don't indict anybody. Perfectionists, if you're in this room somewhere, your end goal isn't possible because you're not perfect. Now, you can do everything good and great as unto the Lord as your worship and, and take care of your craft and all these kind of things, right? But here's the hard part with perfectionism. It's either highly subjective and trivial things, or it's generally impossible where it counts. Let me explain. It's highly subjective and trivial things, meaning like pizza. This is the perfect slice of pizza. Is it, though? Like, in this moment, maybe? Like, I don't know. I don't know if I've had the perfect slice of pizza. Never been to Italy or New York, and that seems like they kind of have it on lock. <laughs> subjective. How about where it really counts? How about parenting? The perfect parent, a good, good parent, a well-informed, heartfelt, a leader, leader of your family, parent. But a perfect parent, man, that seems like impossible. As an imperfect person, I would tell you, that seems impossible. So this scale of perfection can lead us into a wrong place. And we just, at some point, we need to recognize, like, we will fail. We will make mistakes. I love James 3, 2 says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. We stumble in many ways. We all make mistakes. First John 2, 1, we read this before, says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
He says, don't sin, but since you're not perfect, you will sin. And since Jesus knows you will sin, he's your advocate for you. I love this about God because I think I need this reminder. You know, uh, during COVID, right when COVID started, we had uh, our child, our, our son, Henry, placed in our home. And that was Monday. And then Thursday was the day, I don't know if you guys remember when the NBA shut down. People were like, wow, that seems like a bit of an overreaction. And then it wasn't. <laughs> No one laughed. Okay, cool, great. Um, people were like, hey, it's been a long six months, man. You can't joke about it yet. Okay, next year, that's going to be hilarious. Um, but we got, we got our son in on Monday, and then on Thursday, everything was like, you can't go outside. And we're like, well, no, we're going to try. And then we like went to the playground, and they had like taped it off. And I'm like, no, we're going to use the swing. Um, but it was interesting. Uh, I was writing my sermon during that, that time where we're talking about hope and healing, and I think peace is what I was talking about. And uh, my wife and my kids are in the house. We've known this kid for a week. It's two, he's two. So just imagine, like, someone brings you a two-year-old. They're like, they're yours forever. And you're like, I don't even know his middle name. I asked his foster dad yesterday, like, what's his middle name? Right, that's, that's how much we knew him when he came into our home. Um, I met him three times. And so our family was learning how to be a family while also not being able to go outside. And that was a treat. Well, also, I was writing these sermons because we were trying to do video. We'd never done any video as a church, like, live stream. We're like, let's build a live stream with no money and not really a team. We have no idea what we're doing. But, like, Marcus and I will just hang out for six hours a week and try to make it happen. Like, hey, what's up, Marcus? Hey, guys. What's up, guys? Uh, <laughs> um... And so I remember being so stressed, and my kids are, like, screaming out here, and I can hear my wife, like, oh, my gosh! And I just, like, came out, came out of the room, and I'm like, I just, like, lose it. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you get to that point of, like, I will burn this whole house to the ground if there is not a moment of silence. And then, you know, I had to go back in and write a message about peace. And so I go in, and I'm like, well, I can't do this. <laughs> like, I have ruined it. And uh, I felt in that moment like a failure, Honestly, I was just like, how can I preach on peace, preach on, on this moment, and also just be stressed out to the max as I'm dealing with this really unique part of my family? And again, it goes back to this perfectionism idea of because if you think that you are meant to be perfect and that's the end, then you're going to have a problem. You're going to feel like a failure all the time. But if you focus on God being the source of your strength and your renewal and you're striving for his righteousness. Now, I'm not advocating yelling at your family. I'm just saying that nobody is perfect. But the problem is, is if you begin to let that mindset seep into yourself, you'll begin to say, you're an idiot. You're a failure. You're a loser. You can't do this almost every aspect of your life. But this is so important. You, you will fail, and when you do, this is like, you know, 1A, if you're taking notes. Allow yourself to feel disappointment, but not disapproval. Just because you fail does not make you a failure. Just because the business doesn't work out doesn't, doesn't mean like now, now you're a failure. Like we don't even call you your main name. It's like you used to be called Steve and now we just call you failure. Just because your friendship went south and you got hurt and it was sad, yes, it doesn't mean that you are a failure. You should feel that emotion. Feel the emotion of disappointment. Don't push that down, right? Like feel disappointed because it didn't go the way it was supposed to. But don't let it attack your identity as a person. Do you understand the difference? 
There's a difference in like, I'm going to be true to the emotion I'm feeling that this is disappointing. But you know what? It doesn't speak to my identity as a person. Failure might disappoint you, but it's not meant to define your identity. Allow yourself to feel disappointment, but not disapproval. And then kind of the second thing under there is that failure is an event, not a person. Failure is an event, not a person. You will fail because you're not perfect. It's something. But that doesn't mean it defines who you are as a person. In fact, sometimes God uses failures in our life to do a work within us. You're like, really? How? Okay. Peter. I don't know if you heard of Peter. A very famous. He's all up in the New Testament. And Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. And he's famous for a couple things. One of them is being very bold. And one of them is failing very boldly. Like, he's kind of got, like, both sides of the spectrum here. And I appreciate that about Peter. Uh, and it's interesting. Jesus, when he's predicting his death, he's like, yes, uh, I'm going to die. And you guys are all going to be here. And I'm going to go and I'm going to die. And Peter's like, no. Here's what he says. This is very Peter-esque. He says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And here's what Jesus says. I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. I think that might have been a little offensive to Peter. Like, man, I just told you I was going to die for you. You told me something about a rooster and denying you. Turns out Jesus was right because Peter goes, and, and in Jesus' hour of need on the cross, being beaten, all of these things, Peter denies that he knows Jesus. He denies him to a little girl. Like one of our cactus kids is like, do you know Jesus? And he's like, no, no. Who? Who are you? Who? All right, bye. And denies the Lord. Denies his Savior. Three times in his most desperate hour. I would think that that would be a moment of failure personally. If I was Peter, I would feel like a failure. We know he didn't go away from that moment feeling like, yeah, I got this. From the rock to build the church. Felt like a failure. But failure is an event, not a person. What I love is that in John 21, Jesus meets with Peter, and he looks at Peter. And as Peter denied him three times, he looks at Peter three times, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, I, I love you. You know, very, I mean, he's probably heartbroken, feels like a failure. He says, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. Peter's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'll do it. He's like, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yeah. And feed my sheep. And the third time that Peter recognizes this restorative motion of Jesus Christ, he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, then feed my sheep. And the man who denies Jesus in his hour of need in front of three people becomes the man who stands up full of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and leads 3,000 people to the Lord. God took what was a three-part failure and gives it a thousand-person return because the reality is failure is an event. It is not a person. Failure is part of often our journey towards what God wants to do within us, that he can take those deep failures and he can do something within us. And often before God wants to do something through you, he needs to do something within you. And for Peter, it was pride. For some of you, it's pride. It manifests as fear, but really it's pride. I don't want to take the risk. And God wanted to do something in him. I love Romans 5, 3. I read it uh, the other week. It says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Here's what's amazing about the Lord, is that we can face suffering or trial, whatever word, you know, you translate there, it's all the same. It's difficulty in life. 
We can face difficulty in life with the confidence that God can build character and hope out of it. We can rejoice even in the midst of the junk of life, of failure, of difficulty because of what God can. That means that we should not be afraid of failure because failure is actually producing something within us through Christ. Are you still with me? This is the second thing. So yes, you will fail, but number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. You can overcome. By the Spirit of God, by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, you can overcome failure. I love Proverbs 24, 16 says, For the righteous fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. I like that. The righteous fall, not just once, seven times. Seven's like the Lord's number. The righteous fall a bunch, but they rise again. They rise again. I heard failure defined this way. I love this definition. I think it'd be helpful if we redefined failure a little bit in our mindset. Is that failure is the price that I pay on the road to God's success. This is a way of looking at failure. Failure is a price that I pay on the road to God's success. One of the best examples I heard of this is, is a pottery class. Uh, there was a teacher who had a pottery class, and we'll imagine that you are all part of this pottery class, even though we don't have our pottery wheels available. Um, bring yours next week. <laughs> I don't know, something about jars of clay. I don't know. Um, but he would divide the class in half at the beginning, and... On this half, he would say, okay, you guys, you're going to be the quantity half. Your job is each of you is going to make a hundred clay pots. And the goal is to just make as many as you can and the best ones you can, but you're going to make a hundred. Then over here, he would say, your job is quality. You're all going to make one pot each in three hours. That's the time we have. And your job is to make the best pots, clay pots possible. Okay, so they would start, and this side of the class would, would all try to make one, like, perfect clay pot. And this side would just try to make a hundred clay pots. And by the end of it, they was always surprised, the class was always surprised that the quantity side made better clay pots. It's like, why this side? We, like, spend all this time. We, ha we have our, like, this thing is nice. Why does this one not only have one clay pot that's better, but it has, like, a dozen clay pots that's better? They're always like, what is going on? And the teacher would say to them, it's because this quality side spent so much time overanalyzing, so much time afraid if it didn't work, so much time designing by committee. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, designing by committee that you had this quality. This side, you made a pot and it was terrible. Then you made another one and it was ugly. Then you made a third one and it was still ugly. <laughs> then you made a fourth one, it was pretty good. Then you made a fifth one, oh, it's kind of nice. And every time you learn from your mistakes, and you learn from what would be perceived failure to grow into something better, and to build something better. It's like, oh, this one doesn't work okay. Just refashion it. That's it. Yeah, what if it doesn't work? That's all right, we're supposed to make a hundred of them, so a bunch of them aren't going to work. What if it doesn't work? Well, we're only supposed to make one. If we ruin it, then we're in trouble. It's the same way. It's interesting if you study, like, business practices. 
uh, have you, I don't know if you've seen that, that like team building exercise they do. If you've been to conferences and they give you like marshmallows and skewers. And the goal is that you build the tallest tower you can build to marshmallow and skewers. And uh, they've studied it when adults do it and when kids do it. And so adults, they get their team of six or eight people and there's somebody who usually takes charge. There's somebody who's trying to keep it light and jokey. There's somebody who gets anxious that they're not going so they just break all the sticks and try to build something themselves. There's all kinds of things. But usually there's a lot of dialogue and analyze what's the best way to make a tower how do we do it how do we build it and they build one in a lot of time but the kids the kids they just start and they just build and then it falls and they build and it falls and they build and it falls and eventually they've learned through it falling how to keep it up and how to keep it built and how to keep it strong I kind of wish we had that same thought as kids again this idea of listen I might fail I might build something and it doesn't make it. But you know what? I'm going to try, and I'm going to keep trying. Some of you, God is calling to get your hands dirty, to stop being so afraid of building something that you never take the risk to build anything, to stop being so afraid of trying something that you never try anything. I love the people in our church I talked to. I was just talking to someone between services, and I was like, man, you exemplify this because you just took the risk, and you went for it. And he's like, what else am I going to do? Like, just be so afraid I don't do it? And I'm like, yes, exactly. That's, the, that, that's it right there. Because we're so afraid of it failing that we don't start. It's time to mix it up and take the risk. It's interesting as I look back over uh, our time in ministry we used to have this phrase at our last church, everything's an experiment. It kind of got a little wild to where they weren't using, like, wisdom beforehand. It was like, well, everything's an experiment. It's like, well, <laughs> but also, like, plan. <laughs> so it got to that point. But the, the idea was there was simply, like, we're going to learn. We're going to grow. We're going we're gonna to try things. And even, like, with our Love This Block campaign, you know, we went out to the neighborhood. We're loving on this neighborhood. People were like, you know, what happens if this neighborhood doesn't work? I'm like, then we're going to try something different. What if that doesn't work? Then we're going to go to a different neighborhood. There's like six million people in the city. Like, let's just keep going to a different block till somebody lets us love on them, right? It's like, well, what if it doesn't work? It, it might not. Well, I know, but what if it doesn't? Like, it might not. I know, but what if they don't let us in? They might not. Listen, we just need to go get our hands dirty and do some. What if I say the wrong thing? You, you probably will. I've done it like four times already because I don't speak Spanish very well. I'm like, so I'm like looking for Bijan because he's so tall. I'm like, Bijan, Bijan! <laughs> I was trying to say for free and I said something else and they closed the door. <laughs> But you might, you might fail. But it's important to, to get into that space just because you fail at something. Hear me, don't give up. If God has called you to it, don't give up. If God has called you to pray for somebody, intercede. If God's called you to that venture, that opportunity, don't give up just because it's difficult. My, my old pastor posted a, a picture that I had drawn for him like eight years ago, and it was kind of on the tail end of some tough things in our last church, and our last church grew like crazy, but it also had all kinds of things that happened. I think it was like two campuses had just closed, and we were like launching two more, and uh, and then like one of our properties didn't work out or something. For most people, they'd be like, I'm done, I'm over it. For us, we're like, yep, it's Tuesday, uh, but we're living in this space of having to believe that if God has called us to it, that we're not going to quit and give up. And I, and I drew him this little picture, and it was like a, I don't know, um, uh, hourglass, thank you. And it said Galatians 6, 9 in it. 
And he posted it the other day, and it reminded me, because Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. And I think about that season where God was trying to, my wife and I especially, God was trying to do something within us. And if we had given up, what God was trying to do within us would not have been completed and before God wanted to do something through us in the ministry he had called us, he had to do something in us. Some of you, you are in that stage where God is trying to do something within you, within your heart, within your character, before he can release you into something that he wants to do through you. He's trying to teach you something. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't let it go. Don't, don't just be like, oh, I'm going to move on. Listen, especially young generation, that there's a habit to just move on when things are difficult. It's like we're surprised that we're not instantly good at something. Listen, when you start something, you're very likely going to be bad at it. Don't quit, right? I started doing these like calisthenic workouts and you got to do all these poses. I'm terrible at burpees, but I will never get good at burpees unless I keep doing them. I don't like doing them, but guess what? I don't like being fat. And so I'm like, I'm going to keep doing them and I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to quit and I don't look good doing them. No one come in the garage, but I'm going to keep doing them. The same thing is true in my family. I'm going to keep teaching and guiding. The same thing is true in the church. I'm going to keep believing and stepping out, even when we fail. Why? Because through Christ, we can overcome. Through the Lord. I think of it all the time as like a baby learning to walk. I don't know if you, you parents here had that moment where your kid starts, and they're like holding onto the couch, and they let go, and they're like ready to come to you, and then they go like one step, and they eat it. How many of you parents looked at your kid and you were like, you're a failure? None of you, unless you're terrible parents. None of you did that. Do you know God doesn't do that to you either? He's so happy that you've let go and you're taking steps towards him and you're taking steps towards that dream and vision. You're learning how to walk in it. You're learning how to step out into it. And you might go two steps and fall and get up, goes three steps and fall. And God is just like, come on, come on. Like he's rooting for you, just like you. He's got his, got his iPhone out. He's like, come on, we're showing all the angels. Here we go. And there he's just excited to see you take those steps because listen, it is not a failure to fall. It's a failure to not step out. It's a failure not to walk in that. But God has called you out. And I know we get these misperceptions about the Lord, but God is rooting for you. No one believes in you more than your heavenly Father. He believes in you. He's rooting for you. Okay, you'll fail, but you can overcome. Third thing. Okay, you still with me? Okay, third thing. You must take faith risks. Third thing. You must take faith risks. If you're writing notes, write that down. You must take faith risks. Hebrews 11.6, it says this. Without faith... It's impossible to please him. Who's him? God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We cannot please God without taking risks. Risks of faith. I don't mean like random risks. I just mean risks of faith. You cannot bury your talent and please the Lord. If we look at Matthew 25 again, the servant says, I was afraid, so I hid what you gave me. I was afraid. Can I tell you, it is impossible to please God with a play-it-safe faith attitude. With a play-it-safe faith, you know what? I'm just going to leave this thing up here on the shelf, and hey, look what I got. I'll show it to people when they come over. Here's my faith. I'll break it out at Easter and Christmas. Here's my faith. But it's impossible to please God with a play-it-safe faith. 
You know, I think people are hard on Peter, but I think Peter is like the most identifiable person in the Bible. I think we're hard on him because we say, oh, he failed. Like, the, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Jesus walking on water when he walked on water. Um, people say, oh, yeah, Peter walked on water, but, you know, he fell. I'm like, really, is that what happened? Because it doesn't seem to me like Peter failed. It doesn't seem to me like Peter fell. It seems to me, just saying, that Peter walked on water twice. Right, like Peter, uh, let me tell you the story, just in case you haven't heard it. They're out in a storm. All the disciples, Jesus is up in a hill, sees them. He's like, I'm going to go to them. They're in the storm. He's walking by them. John sees him, and he's like, what's that, Jesus? Hey, hey, guys, I think that's Jesus. And Peter, being Peter, is like, Jesus, let me come to you. Jesus is like, okay. <laughs> and so he calls him out, and he calls Peter out. And he says, Peter, come to me. And so Peter steps out of the boat. Think about this. He's in a storm that's going to kill them, and his response is to step out of a boat. That's amazing. I love that. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. He says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? It says that when they got back into the boat, the wind ceased. Okay, when they got back into the boat, what does that mean? That means he had to go out some distance that he couldn't reach back and get the boat. So he went somewhere. We don't know how far. And it says that he then was rescued by Jesus, and they went back to the boat. We don't know if he drug him, or, but I'm going to guess they walked together because Jesus is classy like that. So they walked back. So think about that. Who really failed to capitalize on the opportunity here? If you're in that boat, you're probably thinking like, man, that was the moment I could have walked on water. Right? What would have been failure? To get out of the boat and to walk on water, to experience a miracle, and then what? Be overwhelmed by your humanity and sink in in, in doubt and in those moments that are difficult and have Jesus lift you out of water? Like, that would have been amazing. And then set you on the water, and then you and Jesus walk hand in hand back and get into a boat and the storm dies. That doesn't sound like failure to me at all. Failure sounds like to me if Peter had stayed in the boat when Jesus called him out. Failure is not walking on the water. Failure is not sinking under the weight of things that, are, that, are, that seem so beyond us. Failure is being called out by God, but choosing to stay in safety. Hear me. I would rather be held in troubling waters by the hand of Jesus Christ than casually floating along in a boat named failure. I'd rather walk with the Lord who loves me and experience the miracles of his presence than live in a place of, I'm just not going to risk it. I'm not going to take that risk. You know, my, my wife and I, like I mentioned, right when COVID started, we thought, let's adopt a child. And so uh, we've been on this journey. Kid comes into our home, and, it, and it, it's amazing. Uh, on the first, we have our hearing, and he's going to officially be Henry Duke Wisebrode. It's awesome. I'm so pumped. Uh, but if I'm going to be honest, it was a chaotic way to go through the last six months. Chaotic way. And uh, when you're a pastor, pe people, you don't like kind of go broadcasting that so people don't know. So you're still encountering the chaos of their life and then going home and dealing with the chaos of your life. And so it was a crazy season. So there were days where I look at my wife and I'm like, I feel like we're drowning. Like, I feel like we're underwater here. And there's some days, honestly, I was like, I feel like I'm just failing as a dad in this moment. Like I'm just, I'm not, I'm not quite cutting it. 
you know, maybe, the, I don't know, maybe he'd be happy with someone else. I'd never give him up, so don't take it that way. I just mean, I felt like I wasn't good enough. Like, I just I couldn't cut it, <laughs> you know, those days. Any parents out there that your kids were locked in the home with you for three months, and you're like, oh my gosh, wow, okay. I feel like I'm drowning. And so I was in that space of feeling like a failure, and yet as I stood back and reflected with the Lord, I thought, man, we, we aren't failures. And we talked about it like we are doing what God has called us to do and what God has put upon our heart. And though some days I need that full grip, God lift me out of the water, and some days I'm walking on that water to him, and I live in both those spaces of faith and struggle and walking it out. Just because I'm in that space doesn't mean that I am failing or that I am a failure. It means that I'm trusting in God. And yeah, today is hard, but I know a God who is greater than today, who can overcome what I'm facing. And again, I might fall in what I'm doing. I might take a look at the waves around me and be like, oh my goodness, and feel them crashing against me in my life. But you know, when I step back, I go, I'm thankful that I have a Jesus, I have a God, I have a Savior who lifts me out out of my struggle, who lifts me out of my, of my tough places and walks with me in a miracle to step into a testimony. And so for us, we reflected and said, listen, I know God will overcome in every possible way. And yeah, yeah, it's hard, but guess what? To fail would be to not step out to where God's calling us. But since he called us, he won't fail us and he will overcome. I'm going to invite the band up today. You know, one of the reasons I love Peter is because he goes again from this, like, very timid, or not, um, this very brash, I mean, sorry, a guy who's kind of up and down to this very bold proclaimer of the Word of God. And I love in Acts 5, uh, all the Pharisees, they were the Jewish religious rulers of the time. And they were like, what are we going to do about this guy, Peter? Because, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of flipping the thing on us, and we don't like this. And so... They were like, what are we going to do about Peter? What are we going to do about these guys? What are we going to do about them? And I love it. In Acts 5, uh, there's a Pharisee named, uh, and I'm probably mispronounce this, I'm sorry, Gamaliel, who steps up, and here's what he says. He says, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this planner or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. This is crazy. He says, listen, if God has called them to do this, then it's going to happen because God will overcome. If he hasn't, then it's going to fail because it's human. But if it's God, it will be victorious. See, we are the human element. We're the ones who fail. God does not fail. God never fails. And so if God calls you out, though you might stumble, though you might fail in the process, God and his plan will not fail. If God has given you a vision for leadership of your family, listen, he will not fail, though you might in that journey. If God has given you a vision for business or community or life or whatever it might be, listen, God will not fail, though you might fail. God will overcome says the Pharisees, so they took his advice. Let me ask you this morning, what faith risk is God calling you to today? What faith risk is God calling you to today? Some of you just been so paralyzed by the fear of failure, but God has been trying to call you out to something special. He's been trying to give you vision in your workplace. He's trying to call you out to preach the gospel to those that you know. 
but you're so afraid, so afraid. Lord, what, what if I, what if I try to try to lead? What if I try to try to share the gospel with somebody and they reject me? It's like, well, you won't know till you try. Yeah, but what if they do? Well, what if a meteor hits the earth and we all die? I don't know. If you live in the what if game, you're gonna die in the what if game. What if someone rejects me? What if I fail? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I say the wrong thing in another language and I get kicked out of the neighborhood? Like, well, yeah, we thought these things. What if, what if, what if, what if? How about this? How many of you know that God is calling out and it's time to take a faith risk? What if you took that risk? What if you saw the miracle of the Lord at work in your life? Some of you, God is calling to take a risk of faith today. I want to invite you to do something with me this morning. Would you just, as you're sitting there, would you close your eyes with me? Because I, I just desire for us to focus our hearts as we close this morning. So we talked about, we will fail, we will make mistakes, but we can overcome through Christ. We can overcome through Christ. We got to take a faith risk. We can't just take our faith, put it on the shelf, take our talent, take our opportunity. Some of you have been given opportunity in where you work. Some of you have been given opportunity in your family. Some of you have been given opportunity by the sheer fact that you're born into a nation that allows you to preach the gospel publicly. The question is, God, where are you calling me? And where am I afraid? Am I afraid of taking that step and taking that risk? Is there a part of me that, that is fearful about taking that leap? And will I take a faith risk today in leadership and family and relationships and business with the gospel? If you're in this place and you're saying, man, I, I've really had that fear of failure. What if, what if it doesn't work out? What if I don't work out? What if I'm not enough? You've had that fear. You're saying, you know, this morning, Pastor, would you just pray with me? I want to pray with you this morning, if that's you. And I want to pray. As you say, I, I trust you, Lord. I take a step of faith. I take a faith risk. If your prayer is, yes, I believe that God is calling me to take a step of faith, then I want to pray for you that God would supernaturally replace your fear with faith. That God would supernaturally replace your fear with faith today. If that's you, whether you're in here at Scottsdale or you're online, I'm going to invite you. If you're saying, man, I, I want the Lord to supernaturally replace fear of failure with faith today. And I want to take those steps of faith. If that's you, would you just lift your hands just in a surrender posture wherever you're sitting. If you're sitting online, you're sitting in person, just lift your hands. It's just a, a moment of surrender to him. And in fact, I'm just going to invite you. Would you stand with us this morning? Would you stand with us this morning? I want to pray for you. That's you. Just lift your hands. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I want to pray for you this morning. God, you see the hands in this place and the hearts in this place. You see the hands and the hearts online. You see those sitting in their living room right now with their hands raised. And we thank you and we praise you for them. We thank you for everyone joining us today. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus the Lord who loved us, who gave his life for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray you would supernaturally replace fear with faith. I pray you would stir up hearts that would take a faith risk, that would be 
just uh, released, released, that's the word, released from this feeling of being locked and paralyzed and stuck in fear. But they would say, no, Lord, today I trust you. I give my life to you. I follow you. I'm after you. I'm with you. Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, direct me. And I pray today that we would leave as those who take the risk of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. One more thing I want to pray for you. I don't know if you knew this, but one of the greatest risks of faith was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came as the perfect son of God to die for us. Why? Because we have a sin problem. We have a pride problem. And because sin is in rebellion to God, and because we've chosen pride and chosen sin and chosen selfishness, it separates us from a perfect God. But what's amazing is though even God did not choose for us to sin or force us to sin, he chose to send his son to restore us into relationship. Why would he do that? Why would he send his son for us who chose to be in rebellion to him through sin? It's because he deeply loves us and he deeply cares for us. And so Jesus gave his life with the possibility that we might believe and receive. He took all of our sin, all of our shame. He defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he's waiting with relationship and eternal life, believing that there are those who would receive him and believe in him today. That's a risk. And, and what's interesting is that many of you, you get so close to taking that faith risk. You get so close to taking that step to follow Jesus. You get close to saying, here's my heart, Jesus. I give you my heart. I need you as my Savior. Uh, you come so close to receiving eternal life. But what happens is right at that moment, the enemy comes in and begins to whisper into your mind like those monkeys surrounding you. He tries to make a monkey out of you. You're trying to reach for something great. He begins to pull you down and say, don't do it. That's stupid. That's a myth. That's not real. Don't do that. It's a fairy tale. Don't buy into that. You're not good enough. You don't need that. You don't want that. And today I want to say something. Take the risk. You're like, I don't understand everything. I don't know everything. But I know that I need the hope and healing of Jesus Christ that comes through him. I know I need a miracle in my life. I say, take the risk. Take the risk, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Jesus, I say yes to you. I repent of my sin. I lay it at your feet. And I say yes to you. And I come into relationship with you, and I choose to follow you. Lord, I desire that the old would be gone and the new would come, just like it says in the Word. I desire that I would be in new life. I desire that there would be restoration. I desire that there would be hope. I desire that that, that, that that hole inside of my heart that is created and formed to be filled fully by you would be filled with you today, that you do a miracle in my life. Some of you right at that moment, but the enemy wants to try to rob you and drag you down from that moment. And I'm here to tell you this morning, take the risk. Take the risk. So with every eye closed and every head bowed in this moment, this is your moment. This is you and the Lord. You don't got to prove nothing to anybody. You don't got to be about it for anyone. If you're in your home, this is for you. If you're driving down the road, this is for you. If you're listening to it on the podcast and you're like, well, it's delayed. Maybe it's not for me. It's still for you. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a timeline. He works how he works. So no matter where you're listening right now in this moment, this is for you to take this moment and say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. I need you, Jesus. Here is my heart. I give it to you. Would you make me new? Would you do a miracle in my life? If that's you today, every eye closed and every head bowed, or you're online, 
I just invite you, would you just lift your hand up and put it back down? If you're saying this morning, Jesus, I say yes to you. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. I want to pray over you, and then our band's going to lead us in this song this morning. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for every person who's made that decision to follow you today. And Jesus, I pray as they take that great faith risk, I pray for a transformation. Pray, Jesus, transform my heart. That's our prayer this morning. Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior. Transform my heart. Renew my life. And for every person that says that the old is gone, the new has come, there is hope for every future, and there is healing for every past. In the name of Jesus, he has come to restore and renew your heart today. So for all those who said yes to him today, I praise the Lord for your heart. And I encourage you in this moment to just surrender completely to him and say, Jesus, I give you my heart, every part of me. I repent of all sin and unrighteousness, and I choose today to follow you. I choose today to worship you with my life. In your name, amen. Let's worship the Lord together.